This is episode two of The B-Side, and on this episode, we're going to be covering purgatory, our new bodies, and the rapture. Welcome to The B-Side, a Blessed Hope podcast where we turn over the sermon notes and answer those lingering questions. I am your host, Vince, as always, and I'm here with Pastor Matt, and we're going to be covering all sorts of things, all sorts of questions with heaven. We're in the second uh, podcast on our Heaven series, and we're four sermons in, so a little over halfway. Uh, how's, how have you felt the sermon series has gone so far? Yeah, you know, that's, it, it's always interesting, I think, from my perspective uh, to know how it's gone, uh, because, you know, as the one delivering it, preparing it, I, I, always, I always hope that it's, it's, you know, a home run. Um, but, but you never really know how it's going to land or if people are going to be as interested in hearing about it as, as I'm interested in preparing and, uh, and getting ready. But I think it's gone well. I, I think, you know, my main goal for this series was simply to um, debunk some of the myths that we've come to believe about heaven and to make sure uh, two things. One is that we understand how exciting heaven is going to be. And then because heaven is so exciting and how much we can look forward to an eternity with Jesus, that we can live this life with gospel abandon and, and, and not have to hold things back and not have to be scared about what's next, that we can just pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel because we know what's coming is, is going to be great. So Yeah, and it really seems like the congregation as a whole has been really interested and really engaged with asking a lot of questions and asking a lot of good questions. Um, so we're going to jump right into questions, and we're going to start with, I think, both of our personal favorites that's on the list, and that is, I, I imagine this is from a kid, but if it's not, no shame on any adult who asks this question, but can you breathe underwater in heaven? So, so here's, here's what I'm going to say. I, I've actually not been to heaven uh, so I can't say definitively what our resurrected bodies will and won't be able to do. But, but I'm, I'm going to give it a really um, hard, I don't think so. Um, we are going to have perfect resurrected bodies in heaven, but it doesn't mean they're going to be uh, magical or that we're going to be able to do all of these new things that we've never done before. I don't think we'll be able to fly. I don't think we'll be able to breathe underwater. Um, will I be able to hold my breath a whole lot longer? Hey, probably because I'll be in peak physical condition. Uh, my lung capacity will be great, uh, but, but I don't think I'll be able to swim underwater. And for Aquaman fans, I don't think I'll be able to talk to sea life or anything like that. So Dang. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get into some, I think, more difficult questions. Sure. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about heaven. Is it an alternate dimension? Is there time there? Uh, in this question, the person asked, well, time, they said, well, time is a man-made invention, so obviously in heaven, we won't have time. Uh, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I guess I challenge that idea uh, that time is a man-made construct. Time is a God-made construct. Uh, now, God exists outside of time. Uh, he's omnipresent, and, and um, he exists uh, outside of time, and, and he is the creator of time, but, but he very clearly has, has spoken time into existence. He has uh, caused the sun to rise and set and caused the, the rotation of, of the earth around the sun and planets and seasons, and all of that is God's doing. And so uh, to say that time is a man-made thing, um, it, 
is just inaccurate. God creates time. And uh, I don't think there's anything uh, that we would read in Scripture to indicate that time will cease when we get to heaven. Uh, there will be no end to our time when we get to heaven, but there's nothing to, to insinuate that it'll cease. And so do I think that we'll celebrate, you know, hey, um, it's the anniversary of the new earth. You know, the new earth has been here for, for 12,932 years. I, I have no reason to believe that we wouldn't do that uh, because God never indicates that time will go away. You know, and the question about dimensions is, is an interesting one. And, and the real clear answer is, I don't know. Um, but it's fun to speculate about because one of the things that we just know is true is that we experience more dimensions than, let's say, a dog will. Um, and so, you know, uh, the dog sees the world, and I, I want to say, I'm, I'm not a, an expert on this, but I, I think in two dimensions. You know, we see in three dimensions. Um, you know, is there a fourth or a fifth dimension that we're just not aware of? I, you know, we see stories in scripture where God will open the eyes of people and allow them to see what's happening in the heavenly realm around them. Um, is that God allowing them to see into another dimension, um, into a fourth dimension or a fifth dimension? I don't know. Uh, but, but it's, it's interesting to think about, but time is real. Yeah talking about different dimensions and dogs versus humans in the present, it makes me think of Star Trek, The Next Generation with Gordy, and how he, he's blind, but he has this device, and he can see different energies, and it allows him to see um, in a different way than everyone else does because something else is going on with him. Well, think about that story in, in the Old Testament when um, Elisha is surrounded by his enemies, and his servant is scared. And he's, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and the, simple, the simple prayer from Elisha to God is, God, open his eyes and let him see. And God does. He opens the servant's eyes, and all of a sudden he sees the Lord's armies, a host of the Lord's armies that, that outnumber the enemy um, just a thousand to one. And, and all of a the sudden then the fear is eased because he could see uh, that God was at work around him. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting thing to note that that we can't see the spiritual realm, but the spiritual realm is very real. So, but, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you no, there. Go the, ahead. The other thing about that is the cool thing in heaven is that the spiritual and the physical will be together. Mm. So the idea of, of different realities that we can't see and perceive and know, that disappears in heaven because, um, and, and one of the questions that somebody asked, if I'm remembering, was are we living on the new heaven or the new earth? And the answer is yes and yes and yes because they're the same. Because heaven is just the fancy word for where God lives, and God will live with us on the new earth. And so the new heaven and the new earth are the same, and, and those realities will be together, and, and it's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so the next question that we have uh, is a question that I imagine if we have people from in our congregation or people from a Catholic background, this is a question where uh, there's a lot of skin in the game on this one, sure. I would imagine, for okay. some. And it is, is purgatory real? Uh, I guess the first question is, what is purgatory and as far as what Catholics teach and believe? Yeah, and as far as I know, um, Catholic doctrine is the only, um, the only Christological uh, 
faith that would teach about purgatory. So, so we are talking specifically about a Catholic belief when we talk about the idea of purgatory. And, and to my understanding, and, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but to my understanding, purgatory is basically it's a time where we're cleansed of our sinfulness. And, you know, we become Christians, uh, and, and we're a Christian, and uh, unfortunately, just being a Christian and just trying hard does not allow you to live a perfectly sinless life. And so while my eternal salvation is covered through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the idea is that I still need to pay for my sin. Uh, and so purgatory is a place where I suffer, and through that suffering, I'm cleansed uh, from my sin. And then after I'm purified and spotless, then um, I, can, I can go to heaven. And, and the, the issue with purgatory for me is, is simply that you are going to find nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. That in context, you could take to rationally, logically mean, hey, that's talking about purgatory. Uh, we read that to be absent from the body for Christians is to be present with the Lord. There's no in-between state. There's no intermediate time. It's just simply... Uh, not something that we're going to find in Scripture. And so, um, you know, I always liken it to this. When I have this conversation or debate with, with uh, folks that, that would believe in, in the doctrine of purgatory, um, you know, or various other things, here's my go-to. I have such a high view of Scripture that, that I believe, yes, we should study it together. Yes, we should be at church and hear it preached. Yes, we should delve into it in small groups and community. But if I took this, and I was on a desert island, and I read through Scripture. You know, um, God's not trying to trick me, right? This is something I should be able to read, and I should be able to understand what God's trying to communicate, and, and there's just no natural reading of anything in Scripture that's going to point you towards purgatory. Yeah, and I, I think that's really interesting, and uh, anybody that knows me really well is, knows that I, I love history. And, sure, yeah, you're a history guy. And so in undergrad and when I was in seminary, I, I remember all my classmates were struggling in history, church history classes, and I was just eating it up. Uh, and, and I have all those textbooks and uh, source books that I, I, I got during that time, and there's just a couple of uh, documents written by popes in the 14th and 15th century that I think... Um, really highlight where this doctrine even comes from. So you have Pope Clement uh, VI in 1343, and he's talking about the treasury of the church, how Christ has secured this treasury of grace, and because he gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter, it is now the Pope's job to kind of distribute this grace. And I think uh, in that we kind of see like, whoa, what's, what's going on? Because now it's not Christ distributing grace, it's earthly man distributing grace, and that's not what I see in Scripture at all. Yeah, the other, the other problem with, with the doctrine of purgatory simply is this. It, it tells me that Christ's suffering and death on the cross, his, his sacrifice for my sin, that he is a propitiation, which is just that fancy word that means, you know, he takes my sin on himself. It, the, the doctrine of purgatory tells me that it's not good enough. Uh, that what he accomplished was good, but it wasn't complete. And so I need to bring something to the table, which is contrary 
to the gospel of grace, that we are saved by grace through faith and nothing that we can boast about, nothing that we bring to the table. And so um, I have strong um, opposition to the doctrine of purgatory, uh, and I, I think it's not very helpful. Uh, frankly, I think a lot of us um, in our culture like to cling to the doctrine of purgatory because it allows us a, a place where we get to feel better about our loved ones that clearly lived a life outside of faith. Uh, you know, it's the other part of, of good Catholic doctrine is, you know, it's, it's that somehow this baptism as a baby, a decision that's made for you, somehow sanctifies you and, and provides you salvation. And even if you walk away from faith, well, that's okay you'll still ultimately be okay in heaven. You'll just have to be in purgatory a little longer. And I think a lot of, a lot of people in our culture take some solace in that. It allows us to not be quite so concerned about the souls of those that we love. But I, I, just, I think it's dangerous, and I think it's unbiblical. Yeah, and I just got one more document from Pope Sixtus the fourth, which I think is kind of weird that his name was Sixtus Six, the fourth. The fourth. And it's from 1476, which is about... 130 years after Pope Clement, and he talks about how if you're a Christian and you have other brothers or sisters who have passed on, if you give a fixed amount to the church for the rebuilding of the church or the restoration of uh, the physical church buildings, then the pope or the priest will, uh, in proportion, let off a sentence of purgatory. So if you give so much money, then couple years less of purgatory and it just I think for me when I see those documents it's just so crystal clear that this um, was part of a time in church history where the church was corrupt and and I think part of that is we have to own that that's happened and but also not cling to doctrines that were invented during that corruption yeah and and I I would just say this you know I I understand you know if I were someone of, of Catholic background uh, or persuasion, and I'm listening to this conversation about purgatory, um, I'm probably feeling a little frustrated or maybe irritated at those mm-hmm. two guys from the non-denominational church having this conversation about something they don't know about and this and that. And, and I get that. And, and boy, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to cause um, fights or, or issues between churches or denominations, but I would just simply say this, that I, and, and again, this is my go-to, is read Scripture Read the Bible and tell me, what is a natural, in-context understanding tell you? When Paul, in context, says, hey man, if I die today, that's cool, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What, what context? I mean, what, what can you take from that for Christians? And when, when Jesus says to the, to the thief on the cross, hey, you know what? Surely I tell you today, you know, you who have a lot to pay for, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What, what's that mean? Um, and, and I think, again, a natural reading of Scripture uh, will usually get us where we need to be. So we want to move to, and you already answered one of these questions on where we will live, sure. new heaven or new earth. Um, but the, another question is, when is the new heaven? As we read Revelation 20 through 22, when, when does this happen? And I think uh, maybe there's some difference there with how you view certain things, but um, when is this? Yeah, okay, that's, that's a great question. Um, the, the when question is 
complicated and simple at the same time. So let me give you the simple answer, and then maybe we could pick apart a little complicated thing, because I have a feeling that you and I would disagree maybe on the timing as we get more complicated. Uh, But on the simple, we can absolutely agree. That's why we minister together, and it's a non-issue. So the simple answer for when is at the end of this age, when Jesus conquers everything when sin and death are abolished, when Satan is thrown in the lake of fire, when all of that is finished, then will be time for the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth will be established. So when we read in Revelation 21, that is, that is after Jesus conquers everything, when everything is put under his feet. Yeah, and I don't know any Christian that would argue that. Pick a fight about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's the beauty of, of frankly, I mean, this is a, a, a plug for, for non-denominationalism um, or denominations that will hold loosely to things that we argue about. Because um, we know to be a Christian is to agree that Jesus will win and that he will establish this new heavens and new earth and we will live there for eternity. That's, that's what it means to understand end times as a Christian. And then when we start to take it apart a little bit, we get nitpicky. And what we're really talking about is this grand thing called the millennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when you read through Revelation 21, and, and it, it's mentioned other places in scripture, but we're talking specifically about the end of Revelation. We read about this thing called the millennial kingdom. And there are some... Um, some questions about the millennial kingdom, and basically it says, is it a literal thousand-year kingdom where Jesus reigns on earth? Is it a figurative thousand-year kingdom, and when does it happen? Okay, and so there are three points of view about the millennial. We won't go into these very much, but I'll just touch on them here. You've got something called um, premillennial, something called postmillennial, and something called amillennial. Now, I'll tell you this, that uh, postmillennial... Is, is just not something we take seriously. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's something that's kind of brand new in thinking when you look over the scope of church history, um, and, and it's, it just doesn't work. Uh, the idea of post-millennial thinking is simply that um, God's kingdom is being realized more and more fully. Um, and so in that idea, it's the world is getting better. So what it says is we are actually living in the millennial kingdom right now. We are living in the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's not a literal thousand years. Um, it's meant to portray this time after Christ's ascension, and it's the idea that everything should be getting better. And the key is that when things get better enough, when God's kingdom is realized mostly then it will be time for Jesus to return and finish it off. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's post-millennialism. It's not biblical. You're not going to find anything in Scripture to back that up. In fact, you're going to find things in Scripture that contradict it. Yeah. Jesus says, hey, man, I want you to know it's going to get worse. Yeah. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars and those things. Don't panic. Yeah. Okay? So, and, and that, was, that post-millennial view was really popular in the 1900s, kind of where it, it got its genesis early in the 1900s, and then when the second world, when the first world war, and then especially when the second world war happened, people who believed in postmillennialism had to look around and say things aren't getting any better. Yeah, it's it's not improving, right? But that's where we get a lot of our social gospel things from. But uh, but yeah, so so we we don't really take that one seriously. But the two that that we we would view as as biblical options is. Uh, 
premillennial, and I am a premillennialist um, for whatever it's worth. Most evangelicals are. It's, it's orthodox teaching. Um, There's a lot of different nuances within that as sure, well. Sure, sure there is. But, but premillennial just simply says that um, when, uh, when, when, when Jesus comes and raptures the church, and the rapture is this idea of God taking the church out of the earth, um, that that sets into motion this, this time of tribulation and this time of, of things that we read about with a kind of a literal view of, of you know, revelation, uh, this great tribulation that, that happens. Uh, and that at the end of the tribulation, Jesus will come and literally establish an earthly kingdom on this earth that will go for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, uh, literal thousand years, that then uh, the time for final judgment will happen and the new heavens and new earth will be established. Um, so that's premillennialism. That is, again, that's dispensational theology. Most evangelical churches would have that as their bent. Um, and, and, it, and it's orthodox. There's, there's uh, things in scripture that would back that up. The other is amillennial, uh, which would view the millennial kingdom as a figurative kingdom, not literal. Um, and uh, they probably wouldn't think about the rapture too terribly much. Um, and, and they would say, you know, that um, when Jesus returns to judge, uh, that that is when he will judge in finality, and that is when he'll usher in the new heavens and new earth. And so when we talk about timing, what we're really saying is, does it happen um, after a thousand-year reign where Jesus reigns on this earth, or does it happen immediately when Jesus comes back to conquer? And I guess my answer to that is, man, I don't know that it matters. Yeah. Um, I, I think any, any scenario where Jesus is reigning and I'm under him is going to be pretty awesome. And so, um, yeah, I, it's just that's the difference. Yeah, I've been in classrooms where we've debated this for a good hour and a half, and at the end of it, you just feel like, well... We didn't really get anywhere. Nobody was convinced either way, and the ultimate end of it was that Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning for eternity when the new heavens and new earth come. So yeah. do we really need to spend a ton of time wrestling with each other when we pretty much agree on everything else? Yeah. So the got another question about our new bodies, and I think maybe we've talked about some of this. Uh, it might be just good to clarify um, our new bodies, will we, what age will we be? Are we going to age? And will there be babies? I'll leave just those questions and have one more after this. Okay. Well, um, I mean, those are great questions. And we did, we covered those in, in uh, the sermon we did on what our bodies will be like. And, and I want to remind, you know, our listeners that, that there's a difference. And I think I, I made this clear in the sermon, but there's a difference between Matt knows because the Bible is clear and Matt speculates because good logical reasoning would assume. Um, so if you're asking me, hey, Matt, what age will we be in heaven? I'm going to say, man, I don't know. The Bible never is clear, but we could speculate. And I think we could be smart to speculate, but I would never say, oh, well, this is definitively the way that it will be, and if you think otherwise, you're wrong. What I think um, is that we will be, um, here's my easy answer, we'll be whatever age Adam and Eve were in the garden. God creates Adam and Eve, not as babies, not as, um, as infants, but he creates them at a, a certain point, which we assume is at their feet peak physical condition. 
Um, and so whatever age that was, I think is the age will be. Um, it doesn't tell us in Genesis how old they were. Um, science, I think, has some, some keys to help us understand. Remember that, that we're all um, specifically coded with DNA. Um, and in our DNA is an optimal physical time, uh, an optimal physical age, where when we hit that age, we are at our peak physical prime. Uh, and then after that, we start this decline for most people, that's, that's somewhere between um, late 20s, early 30s. And so if I were guessing, Matt thinks, we're probably going to be somewhere in that age range, late 20s, early 30s. And I would speculate that's how old Adam and Eve were then. But there's no way for me to be able to say that definitively. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if you asked this question or not, but as far as babies um, in heaven... There will be no babies born in heaven. Um, uh, Jesus makes that clear when he says, look, the institution of marriage that you're thinking of is going to disappear. Um, and, and so um, if the institution of marriage disappears, the avenue for um, procreation disappears, uh, and I, they're, they're just we won't have babies born in heaven. Um, it's possible. Okay, again, and I'm speculating uh, based on some things that we read in Isaiah about the new heaven and the new earth, um, it's possible that people that have died, um, children that have died before they reach that optimal age, it's possible that they will end up being um, that age in heaven until they grow to the optimal age. But I can't. I, I, again, we're not going to be able to back that up with Scripture. That's just mm -hmm. a possibility uh, based on a couple of verses that, that we could maybe pull that out of. Yeah, so the, the last question with our new bodies is, do we become angels? I've heard that a, a ton, and I think that's pretty pop culture-y sure. assumption that, you know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, are there angels up there without wings? Is it just humans becoming <laughs> well, angels? What's going okay. on? Well, I can definitively say this. Every time a bell rings, an angel does not get its wings. Uh, it's a great movie. I love uh, it's a Wonderful Life, but, but that's not, not a theologically accurate position. Um, and neither is the idea that we become angels. Um, there are, uh, there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that we will ever be anything but human beings. Um, uh, angels are a different creation. God created angels. God created humans. Uh, we don't read anything in Scripture that would indicate that there is a switching over or a changing places. In fact, we read very specifically in 1 Corinthians 15 that we will receive resurrection bodies, human bodies that are resurrected. So no, um, the idea that my, my great aunt Bertha who died, who then became an angel in heaven is, is not an accurate um, biblical um, depiction. Uh, but frankly, that shouldn't be disappointing. Yeah. That should be exciting because mm. of this new physical body that I'll have and this resurrection and the best that God has ever intended for me will be ours in eternity. And that's just, that should give us comfort. Yeah, I think about Genesis and the only creation that is given the image of God is humanity. Yeah. And so to me, when I think about this question, it always seems like a step backwards that I would somehow be losing my, the image of God he's given me if I became an angel. In yeah, heaven. you know, that's such an interesting thing to think about is God did not make that statement about the angels. Mm -hmm. God didn't make that statement about animals. God made that statement about 
us mm -hmm. uniquely in creation. And that's why it says, hey, we were made a little lower than the angels for a while. Mm -hmm. And a little lower meaning that they are physically with God. And we, only for a while, because we will be physically yeah. with God for all eternity as Christians. Um, and at that point, we will no longer be a little lower than the angels. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we will be unique in all of creation and that we are reflecting the very image of the God of the universe. Yeah, so this is all the questions that we have for today. We'll see you guys in a, a couple of weeks. We encourage you that if you are coming to Blessed Hope to put questions in our question box. Uh, we have one more podcast on heaven, and then we're going to be diving into a series on the church. And I think we'll have some podcasts clarifying some things in there or talking about some things that aren't necessarily sermon topics but are very important for the church body to think about and to know. Yeah, that'll be great. Looking forward to that, talking about elders and leaders and uh, questions about uh, women's roles in ministry and two ideas of complementarianism or egalitarianism and what do those even mean and service and worship and is church about us or is it not about us and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that and you're going to get to preach some of that too. Yeah, I'm going to get to preach uh, one of those and I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to see you guys in two weeks, still going to be talking about heaven. So if you still have questions that we haven't answered or you would like more clarification, just keep putting them in the box and uh, we will get to them in two weeks. All right. Hey, thanks, Vince.